Welcome to Basecamp, where men meet together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. Actually, and I, somebody else, uh, I think Steve commented at the table, uh, it was a challenging one to prepare for. These sessions, I think, are because they have less structure than what we're, as teachers, used to. We're sort of, we're not throwing our own resources. Derek has provided us with a lot of material, and you'll see that in here. Um, but it's one where we have to, because we are speaking for the church and not just ourselves, we have to make sure that we are in that in that uh, continuity, in that same stream, that we accurately communicate to you what the doctrines of the church are. I'm sure that I will get some appropriate, probably physical and painful correction if I'm not. Okay, let's see if I can make the clicker work, and it did. Uh, so, gospel unity and continuity. This one was a topic, this is a topic, that can be over in 30 seconds, but we don't have that much coffee. So we will spend more time on that, listening to me. So two key points, and again, we can stop here, but we're not going to. Uh, the gospel begins in Genesis, not in Matthew. Uh, that the whole scripture is uh, a continuous stream from 1-1 to the end of Revelation. And the, the gospel itself is that uh, glow, that sort of like river of lava that flows through it. There are other rivers too that, are subsume, that subsume the gospel, but uh, that's sort of the main theme of this section. The second one, which I won't emphasize explicitly, but is also true, the gospel starts with Israel, continues through the kingdom, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the empty tomb, and then it goes through the church. But those are not plan B. I think there, there's a body of folks, that, uh, uh, perhaps some among us, that, that uh, were taught that the gospel, that Israel failed. And uh, God scrambled around and came up, came up, I don't even mean that point of view, but but that God had a plan B that he put into place, and that was the church. Um, I just don't see that in scripture. I mean, God, if you listen to Moses entering the promised land, he tells Israel, you guys are gonna mess up so badly, God's gonna toss you out of the land that I'm giving you. But he's not gonna forget you, he's gonna bring you back. And then, but the reason for, and this I may get a little trouble for, the main reason for God raising up Israel is, of course, for one man. It's to bring Messiah into the world from God's chosen people. So it wasn't plan B. It was the only plan. And it did not fail and will not fail. Okay. So as, I, as you'll notice, if you can read really small, uh, I gratefully acknowledge the shameless plagiarism from Derek Murray who gave me the substance of this slide, I just recopied it. The core of the gospel, and you guys, probably many of you know this verse, 
Now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel, in which you, which you receive, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, they appeared to see this and then to the twelve. Then it goes on to list a number of other uh, occurrences of his appearance. That is the gospel in the One of your questions that I'll see later on was, why don't we just talk this? We just give people five verses and we're done. And there are good reasons to do more than that. And some of them we've got to cover toward the end of this presentation. The purpose of the gospel, of course, easy. Any one of us can answer it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation, the purpose of the gospel, salvation, to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also the Greek. That's the purpose of the gospel, but it's not the only purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel, like the purpose of the scripture, like the purpose of our lives, the purpose of the universe is to bring glory to God. That is even more than the gospel. That is the consuming thread of scripture. Bringing glory to the God of the universe. God wrote that book for us, yes, but about himself. All of creation, including us, exists for the glory of God. Okay, now there's a next credit question here. You won't get points for it. I don't control that. What's that? That Okay, we're at the caption But yeah, actually, you probably knew it already. This is the heel of a Viking longship. It's being built in Denmark. Uh, they're actually building several of them, just to sort of practice old techniques. Why do I say keel? Well, why did I use that illustration? The gospel in the Bible, I can think of it as a golden thread. It's, a, it's something that works its way through and shines uh, through every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible has a contribution to make to our understanding of the gospel. But to me, it's more than a thread. It's like a keel. As you know, um, for those who are in the uh, most significant service, um, the keel of a ship exists to, it serves to provide major strength, and also it's what the frames attach to. And eventually, and also those frames, to those frames are attached to longitudinals that provide, in, depending on the method of construction, the major strength of the ship as a whole. The keel sort of foundational. To me, the gospel is that. It's that significant in the scriptures as a whole. It's not the only thing. As I said, the, the glory of God is the fundamental reason. But the gospel is, is as well. It's a keel that runs through all of scripture. What I did here was perhaps presumptuous. Um, what I was trying, what I am trying to do is to, is to just give you a flavor of the fact that the salt of the gospel is found throughout the Bible. You yourselves could come up with a much longer list, but I didn't have time or space on the page uh, to give it all to you. So I'm just gonna, gonna uh, select some of these, which themselves are a selection. One that I added after I made the slide was Genesis 1. Uh, 27 to 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then he gives the command to 
be fruitful and multiply, and then he tells them, I've given you every plant uh, for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, and given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. What does that have to do with the gospel? Well, I guess the question that I need to ask myself, and certainly that people you share with need to know, why does God pursue us so relentlessly? Why would he go to all this trouble? Sending his own son to the cross? I mean, as you know, some non-believers call it child abuse. Why does God care that much? Because he made us. Because we are his creation. And not only, because as you know, day six is the only one that's called very good. Well, I think it's fashionable in, in uh, Western culture, not so much in other cultures, but in Western culture, to regard all of creation as precious, and it is. But mankind, men and women, children, are God's special, his very good portion of that creation. He expends, and you guys know this because that's why you're here, the hound of heaven doesn't chase after rabbits. It doesn't go after jellyfish. It goes after us. Because God cares about us. He will pay almost any price. Well, he will pay any price consistent with his sovereignty and his character to bring us back to him. So that's why I chose Genesis 2. So uh, Genesis 3.15 uh, I will bless those who. Uh, I'm sorry, skip that. Um, yeah, I will bless those who bless you. Yeah. Let me skip ahead to Genesis 12. And I will bless those who bless you. He who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So, Paul talks about, understandably, and obviously correctly, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, talks about the mystery of the gospel as a revelation to the Gentiles, and that's that was concealed in the Old Testament. And it is, but God didn't leave it without witness. And this is the first time it really appears. Abraham, primarily because he was the beginning of a seed that would lead to the Messiah, is a beautiful blessing, not just to the Jews, not just to Israel, not just to Abraham's descendants, but to all the earth. So the gospel from the beginning reaches beyond uh, just Israel. And then in Genesis 15, when God's talking to Abram again, he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Uh, Eliezer of Damascus. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be and he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, as early as Genesis 15, we see justification by faith. Of course, that, that verse is quoted several times later on, that, okay, God told us this already. He was already ministering to us uh, by demonstrating that we can't earn our way to salvation. And then skipping ahead to Genesis to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, very familiar passage to us, it's going to be more and more familiar to us as we approach Christmas. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, but, but his name, uh, 
Messiah's name, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, a friend of mine, a young believer, was struggling recently with the deity of Christ. It's something he just, he'd been reading some uh, older documents, uh, particularly what's called the Arian Heresy, and was uh, just sort of rocked back a little bit. You know, is Christ really God? Well, yeah, he is. And this is one place in the Old Testament where it makes it clear that uh, Christ is, in fact, God in the flesh. And establishing that, that identity, um, that merge between the Father and the Son. You always have to be careful using verbs like merge when you talk about the natures of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People have fought wars over that. So. And then in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We turn everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, Christ, the Messiah, the suffering servant. So, in uh, half, you know, we're over halfway through the Old Testament. And then in Daniel, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And Christ, of course, will take that title upon himself repeatedly uh, in the New Testament. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. So Messiah will be king, will be master of all, will uh, rule over all God's dominions. And then uh, a passage that Frankly, I shy away from uh, the book of Zechariah. Never taught in the book of Zechariah uh, because it's very end time centric, and I'm too nervous to teach on end times. So I leave that to Marty and Derek and the other pastors. Uh, but it's obviously it's a rich book, and God put it there for us to understand. And one of the things that we understand out of it is in Zechariah 12:10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of compassion and supplication, so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Israel will turn back. And God tells us that. So all that's contained in the Old Testament is leading up to the gospel. And obviously, when we get to the New Testament, the gospel sort of, think of it as a, that setting in PowerPoint when you can get it to work, that to bring the slide to the front. So now, the gospel, which was concealed, comes to the front and is fully revealed. So, uh, just picking up from Matthew 8, 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, their men will weep and gnash their teeth. I can imagine, hey, if we have any dentists who admit that, that really must get you, gnashing their teeth, being part of the term function. So, you can laugh, it's okay. Um, so that, so that uh, here, another affirmation that the gospel is going to touch people and people respond to it more than just the... Uh, people of Israel, and in fact, many in Israel were rejected. 
And in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. And he said to them, this is Christ speaking to, the, to uh, Clopas and the other guy, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. God had already populated all the Old Testament with the material that once we have the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, to see it bring forward um, the gospel and embryo. And then in uh, Matthew 28, just picking up verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So reiterating the worldwide gospel. And then lastly in uh, Ephesians 3, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that the gospel would go far beyond the borders of Israel. So that's why I say that the gospel is, is that keel that one of the things that unites all of Scripture, underlies, undergirds all the scriptures and helps, helps it to organize. So we're one of the organizing principles around which the Bible is written. So how does the gospel work? This is another example of Shane's plagiarism. Uh, this comes straight from Derek Murray, uh, based on the word of Christ. So his death, his substitutionary atonement, these words like that sort of thing. Uh, Christ is our substitute in death. His death on our behalf releases us the condemnation of the law. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made us, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And then his resurrection that Christ ties our life to Christ's life. That is his resurrection. We are raised from death by him. So gospel, Matthew to Revelation. Unity, continuity, unbroken, undiverted despite our best efforts as simple human beings and Satan's best efforts. Uh, <clears throat> and we will arrive at Revelation uh, with the gospel intact. Okay, this is a bonus, bonus round here. These are uh, the eight doctrines that were covered last week, the eight essentials, which doctrines are necessary to affirm for salvation. And Derek and I talked about this uh, after, the, after the session. Uh, that Will I meet any Arians? Remember I talked about the Arian heresy. Will I meet any Arians in heaven? Will I meet Nestorians? Uh, or friends who have sort of an incomplete understanding of the gospel to whom these are, these are tough things or things that they don't necessarily agree with? I suspect I will. Well, how does that work? Because these are essential doctrines. Well, two things. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the offers in Luke 12, 47 and 48. Remember where Christ talks about the fact that if we've not heard and we do that which deserves a beating, we'll only get a light beating. But if we have heard and do that which deserves a beating, we'll be punished severely. And I think that's one of the ways that God deals with us. We are responsible for our obedience to that which we learn or have been told. So, 
how does this work? Who's going to make it? Who's, who's not? Don't know. Nothing I can control. God does. So I just leave that in his hands. The second thing is in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, where the writer of Hebrews well, criticizes the, the uh, church, the people to whom he's writing, saying, you guys have lived on milk too long. You have uh, failed to mature, sort of in current pediatric language, failed to thrive. Not because of anyone else's fault, but your own. Because you haven't labored to show yourself as one approved. To become uh, a skillful craftsman. And that's our, my exhortation to me and to all of you. Is God has presented the truth to us. We need to labor to show ourselves as ones approved in learning it well enough to teach others and to continue to grow ourselves. So... You'll notice as well here, uh, I highlighted two items in red. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human. Usually, if you look at a cult, there are several areas that cults consistently fail in. This is probably the biggest one, is the nature of Christ. That Jesus is fully God and completely. And at the same time, he is in his incarnation, fully human. Completely God and completely man. Not part of one, not part of the other, not wearing sort of a veil of humanity over a core of godliness, but fully one and fully the other. So, again, no extra charge for that. So, just to review for what we covered. Here are your questions. Why might it be important that we understand the gospel begins in Genesis, not in Matthew? Do you agree that it does? And if not, why not? If the core of the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, why don't we just share that and forget the rest? And then the eight doctrines, which of the, the which part was hardest, maybe is hardest, for you to accept and why. Okay, that's it for me. To your teams. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these men. Thank you for the, the week ahead, or we just look forward to to what you have in store for us. I pray your blessings on every man's family. And Lord, help us to be the fathers that you want us to be, the husbands that you want us to be. And Lord, um, all the different roles that we have, just help us to succeed. And, and may you be glorified in all that we do and all that we are. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All for one. All for one.